uh, Doug spoke last week from Joshua chapter 1 for us. And uh, Ed Henderson had just passed away uh, a week ago Saturday, and uh, which was a, a shock because he, you know, he had some dementia issues, but no, nobody expected him just to, to go like that. And so he, uh, he's the pastor that preceded me and really, as I say, kind of resurrected the work here. But, uh, and, and I kicked myself because we didn't get it on video. And so if you weren't here, you, you, missed, you really missed that. And it was really good how he tied it all into Joshua chapter 1 and the tra transition of leadership there. It was really excellent. But then I found out it did get recorded on the audio file. So you can go and listen to the tribute on the audio file, which I, I would recommend if you, if you missed uh, that you do that because it was, uh, uh, Doug just did a tremendous, tremendous job as he, as he always does. And uh, it was really good. Um, uh, uh, it's a great time of year, you know. Uh, spring is amazing. If you if you don't experience winter, you can't experience spring. I, I hope you realize that you know, if you, these uh, dreams you have of moving south and spending all your year in a nice uh, temperate climate, uh, it's a nice thing to think about. <laughs> Be quiet, Esther. You crank your, yeah. You cramp my style here. Um, but to, but to, to experience spring is, is a wonderful thing. And so uh, uh, I would encourage you to, to make the most of that. Get out and uh, go for a hike. Uh, don't go alone, though. Grab some people. Pick your small group. Go for a hike. And if you don't have a small group, take some other people that aren't in a small group and go for a hike. Uh, take take a hike. That's my advice for you this morning. Just <laughs> do the yard work. Yeah, you can do that too. All right. Well, uh, as uh, <laughs> as has been mentioned, we're in uh, the book of Joshua, the Old Testament. It's the sixth book of the Bible, and uh, we're going through the Bible over the period of three years. We're not dealing with all of the detail, although I hope that you will read it all and that we will read it all together. Uh, but uh, we're hitting some of the high points and, uh, and some of the low points uh, because we really want to, uh, to take the, this uh, kind of journey right through from Genesis right through to Revelation. We're using the Gospel Project curriculum to do that, which is this, means that the same material that we're covering here in the sermon time is the same material that the children are doing in, in the children's uh, program. So you would have heard Natalie talking about the walls of Jericho going down. Now, we are going to talk about Rahab today, and the children's curriculum doesn't get into uh, the story of Rahab, which is tucked into the story of Jericho. We are going to talk about that today, which uh, is, uh, is, is uh, going, to be, uh, going to be good. But I, I just want us to pray one more time. Um, uh, Pat asks uh, if we would pray for his niece, uh, Angela. Um, I, I wrote down the last name. It's Col Colburn? Colburn? Pat? Yes, Colburn. Uh, as I wrote it down in here. and Because uh, uh, I, I wanted to, to mention that. And uh, so she's been diagnosed with uh, cancer as of a couple of weeks ago. And, and he's uh, asked us to pray for her. She's still in her 50s, young woman. So I told him we would do that. And you probably uh, by now have heard about Pete and Andrea Gould's house uh, that they lost this week in a fire. And uh, they, they'd lost uh, pretty much all of their personal possessions, personal uh, yeah, belongings in that fire. They, uh, there was nobody injured or, or and no loss of life, for which we were very thankful, but still very traumatic for them and for the, the two uh, girls, uh, uh, 
uh, Ava and Holly are like maybe 15 and 14 or something like that, I'm, I'm guessing, and uh, so very traumatic for them. So I want to pray for them as well today. And, and, and listen, if you're here and you have something uh, that, you know, a, a burden that you're, you're carrying or, or a heartache that you're aware of, somebody that just really needs God's uh, uh, intervention in their lives, uh, we want to pray f- for, for those things too. So, uh, but I'll ask you just to stand with me for a moment and we'll just pray for these folks and, uh, and then we'll jump into uh, back into the book of Joshua. So, Father in heaven, we are grateful for your presence here today as we've sung and, and prayed and, and uh, celebrated your, your presence in our lives, that we're not alone and that you go before us and that you go with us and that your spirit indwells um, your people. And we thank you, Lord, that we are not alone. And uh, we just pray today for, for one another. Pray for uh, Pete and Andrea and Ava and Holly that you would just, just steady them, Lord. That they would, they would just have a strong sense of assurance that, that you are watching over them. And we don't understand why this uh, happened. We don't even know how it happened, but uh, Lord, uh, you do. And and uh, they were not out outside of your care when it happened. We thank you for protecting them. We pray, Lord, that you would. Uh, just use this this trial uh, to to draw them closer to one another and closer to you, Lord. And uh, we pray for uh, Vance and Elaine as well, Lord. That you would just steady them and give them just a strong sense of your your power and and your uh, your providence uh, in their lives. And uh, we just thank you for them so much. And and uh, Lord for uh, for Pat's niece, Angela, um, a young a young woman by all accounts, and yet this was a shocking blow for her and for her family and um, loved ones. Uh, we just lift her up to you today. We pray you'd be merciful. We pray you'd show her your mercy, and we pray for um, health and, and, and strength. We pray for healing, and most of all, Lord, we pray you would reveal yourself and your love uh, to her, to them, and show them, Lord, what you want to do in their lives in, in these days. I think, Lord, too, of those who may be here that today who have burdens that they're, they're bearing and thoughts and concerns. Um, Lord, all of us have people we, we love and care about that are hurting, and we just pray today, Father, that you would be at work in our lives. I pray you'd use this church. I pray you'd use the people of God throughout this area to impact uh, the lives of others, that you would use your people to bring hope where there is no hope, uh, a sense of peace where there is chaos and, and, uh, and Lord, uh, a sense of joy where there is despair. I pray, Father, that you would use us as we uh, take our, our stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we might know with uh, complete certainty that we belong to you because of our faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, and that we would, we would recognize the amazing position that you have placed us in when you tell us that we are your children by virtue of our faith in Christ that we are in him Lord help us today to realize 
and to recognize the incredible blessing, the incredible provision, and the incredible grace that you have for us today in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Bless your word to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Yes, said. Today? Yeah. One to four today. Yeah. Lundery Mines at the bottom of the big hill. The Athletic Center. Thank you, Ed. The book of Joshua represents uh, such a new beginning, and Doug talked about that last Sunday. Um, change. New beginnings mean change, and uh, change doesn't come without a lot of angst. Even positive change brings stress with it. Uh, you may or may not be aware of this, but uh, when you consider the stress in your life, uh, the positive things bring stress as well because they involve change as well, and change is never, is never easy. In this situation we're studying here in, uh, in Joshua, let me uh, uh, get uh, Don to bring up the words from Do uh, the last three verses from Deuteronomy, which immediately precedes uh, the book of Joshua. It says in Deuteronomy 34, 10 to 12, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and for all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. All those years, all those miracles, all those prophecies, all those proclamations, all that leadership, and, and uh, Moses was, well, he was a prophet like no other. That's what it says. He was a prophet like no other. There was no prophet. So the greatest prophet that had ever lived is dead. That's how the book of Joshua starts. Your leader, the person who's been leading uh, you all of these years, is dead. So now what? Well, it says Joshua 1, 1 to 3, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. There it is. So what now? Now, therefore... Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. So Moses is no more. But all the promises of God are just as current and just as uh, pertinent as as they ever were, and just as sure as they ever were, just as I promised to Moses. Now, if you jump to the, towards the end of the book of Joshua, you'll read these words in Joshua chapter 21, and I guess uh, we're, you know, we're reading the end of the story here, but for the sake of understanding and for the sake of appreciating the book of Joshua, Joshua 21, 43 to 45 says, Thus saith the Lord, um, thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it. And they settled there, 
and the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. That word rest occurs repeatedly throughout the book of Joshua, and it's a very important uh, word. Um, not one, verse 45, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. So there's the end of the story of Joshua. We're, in, we're talking here today about the beginnings, but uh, really that's where this is all headed. Uh, so new leadership for a new day. And again, uh, just so much appreciated the work Doug did last, last week on, on that um, that subject. Uh, leadership development is, uh, is a huge subject and it's preoccupying my mind a lot in these days and, and as a church we talk, we've been talking about it. It's good to talk about it. We need to talk about it. We can't be just uh, going along as if this is the way it is and things are going to stay the way they are because things do not stay the way they are in this world. Um, Things change, and, and, and change is, is good. Things need to change. And so we constantly need to be uh, encouraging and, and raising up new uh, leaders and, and servants and disciples all the time. It's really, really important. And I would say to you today that you need to consider maybe the, what God wants to do in your life when it comes to the subject of leadership and how uh, leadership involves the taking up of responsibility uh, for for the for uh, for the Lord to serve the Lord in the lives of other people and to and to uh, encourage other people. Uh, I don't know how much time you've given that thought. Uh, you know, there's all different types of leaders and there's all different types of roles, but every single one of us needs to be thinking about how God wants to use us. When God points His finger at you, what is He saying to you about what He wants you to do? I'm not talking about. Um, that the very first time when you become aware of how much you need to accept Christ as your Savior and your Lord of your life, because what you need to do when he puts, points his finger at you and tells you in so many words, speaking by the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, that you need, to, you need him as your Savior to save you from your sin and give you eternal life, that's the number one priority. But what happens next? It's not like he's done with us, right? He's got things that he wants for you to, and ways he wants to use you, you know, uh, thinking about Jesus calling those, uh, those first disciples and, uh, you know, come follow me. And uh, so think about that today. That would be important. Um, we're also entering new series of biblical books. The first five books of the Bible are called the Pentateuch or the Decalogue. Uh, they, they're the books of Moses in the New Testament. And when it talks about the books of Moses or it talks about Moses, it's talking about those first five books. Now we're entering the, what's commonly referred to as the historical books where the people are now in going into the land and living as a nation within the land. So it's, it's quite a, a big transition. And the subject of the land is really, uh, well, it's, it's an important uh, topic. So, for example, let me read to you from Psalm 37. This is Psalm of David. I think if I remember correctly, we're talking about 400 years. Correct me if I'm wrong, somebody here that's a biblical scholar, but are we talk, aren't we talking about 400 years between uh, Joshua and David? Am I close on that? Roughly 400 years. Thank you. Um, so here's 400 years after Joshua, and David, the, the psalmist, the sweet psalmist of Israel, says this. He says, 
Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. And befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Those are amazing, amazing words. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more, though you look carefully at his place. Uh, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives, for those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He uh, will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on, look on when the wicked are cut off. You get the impression that David uh, was pretty focused on this idea of the land. Because it was the promised land. It was the land that God gave the, the, the community of Israel, the nation of Israel, to live in. It was a promise. God promised Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12, 15, and 17, right? So it, it, this idea of the land is really, uh, it's really important. Um, so God comes to, Moses, uh, to Joshua, rather, and promises him he'll be with him like he was with Moses and... Uh, and, uh, you know, when Doug was preaching there last week about that, you know, that promise of his presence, you know, the courage, the courage and, and, and the strength that uh, April was talking about earlier, you know, is that promise for you and me as well? Be strong and courageous for I will be with you. Is that, I mean, that Joshua was, uh, you know, the great, a great leader. Uh, but what about you and I? Uh, I'm not going to dwell on it, but if you go to Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, you'll find there that that promise is for you and I. It's for us too, the promise of God's presence. Um, today we're going to talk about faith, and we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, read some of Joshua chapter uh, 1. I just, I just, before we get into Joshua chapter 2, I just wanted to point out in Joshua chapter 1, uh, verses 12 to 15, that word rest. I, uh, the reason I, I, I'm detouring a little bit on that, because back in Book of Numbers, when we talked in Numbers 13 and 14 about the spies going in and coming back and the people failing to enter in at that time, the generation, the whole generation killed off or uh, died off, sorry, I should say, in the wilderness. Um, we spent a little bit of time in Hebrews where it says there that they failed to enter his rest and it remains a rest for the people of God. And, and that whole whole book of Hebrews, that strong emphasis on this idea that that is for us too. But what does it mean to enter into his rest? And we talked some about that. But I want, I want uh, you to take note of Joshua chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. It says, And the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the word that Moses, servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. That's on the, the, uh, the uh, east of the Jordan. 
Your wives and your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, the east of the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall, uh, and you shall help them until the Lord gives rest, verse 15, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Um, so then you can return. So the idea is, is you have these two and a half tribes that say, we like it here. And Moses said to them, okay, well, you can live here, but you can't rest until you help all your brothers uh, establish their possession of the land across the Jordan. And um, the, I bring it up for two reasons, because it's in a way it's kind of, it's not directly to related to our topic this morning, but, but it is, it's just so important. I'll tell you two, two things about it. One is this idea of rest and what it means and the implications here. You, you know, David brings it up. Uh, the psalmists bring it up. The prophets bring it up. This whole idea that, that there's a promise of rest. And the book of Hebrews says that they never really entered into that rest. God was reserving it for those of us in Christ. But the other reason I bring it up was because this whole idea of community. Here we have two and a half tribes who um, Joshua said to them, you can't rest until they rest. You can't settle here and enjoy the land until you help them win their, the land that they're where they're going to be. Now think about that for a moment and the implications of that for the Christian church. Think about that and the implications of it for your life and mine. There is a very true sense in which I, as a Christian, cannot rest. That is, to be satisfied with my inheritance in Christ and what the blessings I have in Jesus until I have helped my brothers and sisters in Christ enter into what Jesus has for them. My sense of satisfaction as a believer of all of Christ is not, I can't be complacent as long as there is somebody else, a brother or a sister, who are not really entering in and appreciating all that is theirs in Jesus. And as you look around you at other people in your, in your life, that, that should have a profound implication for us. I, and I trust it does, because it's a beautiful picture here. And as you read through the book of Joshua, we're just going to touch, we're like, Next week, we're going to be in the book of Joshua. The week after that, we're going to be talking about the resurrection. And then we're going into the book of Judges. So you're going to have to read the book of Joshua. We're not going to, there's so much in there, we're, we're just not going to cover. And this is one of those things. But if you read through, you find out they did exactly what they were told here. I don't know what chapter it is. I think it's around chapter 21 or something like that. Uh, they, they, they come to Joshua and they say, we've, we've done what we were supposed to do. And Joshua says, yes, you have. And now you can go back and you can settle in your land. They built an altar there and, 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 uh, and made a big deal out of it because it was, because it was, it was really something significant. Um, so I just, like I said, it's not really part of the, you know, they call that a freebie, I guess. But it just, it just, struck, it just struck me. Fighting for others. You might feel pretty good about your life, but what about your, what about your brothers and sisters? How, how are they doing? Do they need your help? Then if they do, you can't rest till you help them. That's a pretty strong push for community, isn't it? 
Okay, chapter 2, Joshua chapter 2. We're going to really be motoring now. You ready? Joshua, the son of Nun. We're going <laughs> to read it all first. Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went down into the, uh, and, uh, they went, sorry, they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. And they lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jer- Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight uh, to search at the land. And then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and said, uh, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they uh, were from. And when the gates were, uh, was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the uh, men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them in the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men of Jericho pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, that's the two spies, they came up, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came up out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God." In, he- in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. On he- in heaven and on earth, he is God. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, that's Yahweh, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will look, deal kindly with me and my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver Uh, our lives from death. And the man said to her, our life for your lives, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Our life for yours, even unto death. That's what they told her. Then in verse 15 it says, then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built on the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go on your way. And so the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your uh, father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and he shall, we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied a scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there for three days until the pursuers had returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. 
And then the two men returned, and they came down the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. I don't know what led, um, other than to say God led, those two spies to uh, Rahab. Um, it was obviously um, known, she was known to be a prostitute, and perhaps it was their way of avoiding suspicion. Uh, but whatever happened and how it happened, she ended up hiding them, protecting them, and casting in her lot with them. And some of those statements that she made were uh, really statements of faith. I know that Yahweh has given you the land. Uh, the testimony of what God had done. And we, when we were talking all through the wilderness, all through the book of Numbers and everything, you know, every once in a while I would, I would mention to you, if you picked up on it, that, that people were watching. If this all didn't just happen, you know, somewhere way out in the wilderness and nobody would ever know about it, there were a lot of people watching. Remember Balak and Balaam in that account, right? There was a lot of people watching. And, and not only were they watching, but their hearts were melting with fear. And uh, I think in some ways the testimony of what God was doing was more clear to some of the Canaanites than it was to some of the Israelites. And there's so much in the in here that we could talk about. The scarlet cord is is reminiscent. I I I think it might have come to your mind. It came to my mind when I read it. Reminiscent of the blood on the doorposts in Egypt when the the Passover. Remember the Passover, the judgment came, and the only way they escaped judgment was by putting blood on the doorposts. Uh, of the blood of the lamb on the doorpost that the angel, the death angel would pass over. Here you have a, a, a similar kind of situation where judgment is coming. And, and make no mistake about this. If you want to understand all of the, 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 the pillaging and, and all of the, 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 uh, the killing that goes on in these accounts, uh, God had told Abraham um, hundreds, four, over 400 years prior to this, uh, that the iniquities of the Amorites was not yet full, that he told Abraham that his people would be in uh, slavery for 400 years in Egypt and that he would bring them out because the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. And the implication is now it's full. God has been uh, watching and observing peoples that were completely committed to uh, an idolatrous and completely immoral uh, culture and now he's going to judge them. he's going to judge them and he's going to use Israel to do it and before you get all worked up about the, the you know God playing favorites later on he's going to use the nations to judge Israel because the Bible says God is no respecter of persons and even though he chose Israel uh, they weren't exempt they weren't above the rules because God every, every one of us is subject to the judgment of God there are no exceptions God is no respecter of persons, it says in James. Uh, so, this, so this is what we're seeing here is a, is a judgment against uh, these people. And we could talk about you know, how these people lived and the child sacrifices and all, you know, all those kinds of things. But the most important thing to remember is, is, that, is that God is a God of justice. And we can't, just, we can't just simply escape that judgment um, by 
pretending somehow that God is unjust if he judges us. Um, so just want to kind of go through the story of Jericho with you, okay, before we talk a little bit more about Rahab. Because what happens next is God instructs Joshua to get the priests to take the ark. And remember, they weren't allowed, they had to carry the ark. They weren't allowed to put it on the cart. Remember that? So he said, take them, bear the ark on the shoulder, and tell them to go and walk into that river. High water season. Bank to bank. That says the banks were overflowing. Harvest. At the time of the harvest. Um, he, uh, so, so, and, and he, when they do, okay, and get the people all ready, so they get all ready, and the priests take the ark, and they go before the people, and as soon, it says in, uh, in uh, chapter um, 3 there, I think it's around, somewhere around verse 7, uh, verse 13, sorry, it says, as soon as the soles of their feet of the priests touched the waters, the waters started backing up. So you picture, I mean, picture all these people. You got, you know, all these people, and uh, it'd be like a, everybody trying to get out of the mall with a fire alarm going off, you know. And it's like a, you could easily get trampled here. Um, but, the, but the priests were in the front, and they had the ark, and the, as soon as their feet touched the water, that's when God backed up the waters. And uh, the people, it says it was harvest time, high, high water time, and the people went, and they all went across. Um, you can, and you have read it. Doug talked about it last week. Uh, and then in chapter 4, you have this, the setting up of the, the, the stones. Remember the stones? They had to take 12 stones from the middle of the riverbed, the dry riverbed. They had to take 12 stones and take them with them out to the other side and build, uh, build a monument out of those stones. Because what they were experiencing and what they were witnessing was monumental. Now, I don't mean that as a joke. I'm serious. That's the whole idea. That's what a monument is. It commemorates something that is monumental. In other words, it's, this is really big. What's really big? God dried up the waters. God stopped the waters for, for the people to go across. And, and it, they're told there in chapter 4, Joshua says that in the years to come, when your children say, what do these rocks mean? Or what do these stones mean? Verse 21, then you tell them, a few minutes ago, uh, well, let me, let me just read a little bit more from the Psalms. Listen to this. This is Psalm 44. Oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. Not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face. For you delighted in them. You are my king, O oh God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. Though you, uh, through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. And he goes on in Psalm 44 to talk like that because he had learned the lesson. He said, our fathers told us these things. We didn't see them with our own eyes. We weren't there. It was hundreds of years ago. So it sounds like they uh, actually, at least some of them, did what they were supposed to do and told their children what they were supposed to tell them and and pass things on to the next generation and so on. Um, chapter 5, uh, they circumcise all, the, all of the, the men, uh, which is significant because they were supposed to be circumcised, and the reason they weren't circumcised was because their, uh, the previous generation lacked the faith and obedience to do what God had told them to do. So they circumcised all of the, uh, the, the, the 
Amen. And uh, then they celebrated the Passover. Uh, first Passover in the land. These are significant things, right? Uh, then they ate, chapter 5, verse 12, for the first time of the produce of the land. It's a landmark, significant. The next day they get up, no manna. First day in 40 years, there was no manna. It's, it's, all, it's all significant. And, uh, and then the last part of chapter 5, and we're only going to go as far as chapter 6, but the last part of chapter 5 is uh, Joshua has a burning bush moment. If you've read it or if you, if you read it, you'll see that this is kind of his burning bush moment. In fact, he hears the same words that Moses heard in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. Take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. Same, same words. This time Joshua's out and he sees this. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's fascinating if you read it. He's out there and, and this is Joshua, right? And he sees this, this man, this soldier, this fully armed soldier. And he says, and he, and he goes, Who's, who are you for? Are you for us or, or for our enemies? And this man says, neither. I am the commander of the Lord's armies. I thought Joshua was the commander of the Lord's armies. Who's this? Well, you read it. And you'll, uh, I'm sure you'll figure out who it is. Um, and then he makes that statement, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. Wow. What do you suppose that did for Joshua's strength and courage, right? So that's, that's the end of chapter 5, verses 13, 14, and 15. Then when we come into chapter 6, is the, the account of Jericho, the Battle of Jericho. And this is what our kids are learning today, about the Battle of Jericho, right? Uh, it, it's, it's really tremendous. So Joshua gives them this instruction. He says, first of all, he says in verse 2, I have given Jericho to you. Not I will, I have. I have given Jericho to you. And then he says, this is what you're supposed to do. And he tells them, gives them specific instructions. He says, tell, you get all the soldiers ready, get the priests with the ark, and, 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 and give uh, seven priests, seven trumpets made with ram's horns, and I want you to do this for six days. Day number one, I want you to march around, all the way around the city, and then back to the camp. The priests are going to go uh, in front of the ark, and they're going to blow their trumpets continually the whole time. And all of these, they, we, what, 600,000 soldiers, foot soldiers, are going to march all the way around the city back to camp. Don't want anybody to say anything. No shouting, no nothing. Just, just do this. So picture yourself. You're on the wall of Jericho. And here they are, right? Their hearts were melting before. Imagine what they feel like now. This... Unbelievable. It's like watching Lord of the Ring, right? And day number one, all around. Those trumpets are driving me crazy. And even just the, you know, what does it sound like when 600,000 people march around your town? I don't know, but it would be pretty scary. Day number one, day number two, day number three, day number four, day number five, day number six. Put yourself... Put yourself in the shoes of those people. Like, this is, is this ever going to end? Like, what, what is this other than terror tactics? I don't know. Day number seven. God says, this is when you change it up. This time, march around seven 
times. It would probably take a day to march around for, for 600,000 people to march around a, a town. Uh, so, but, that, but that's what they, he told them. He says, uh, on, on the seventh day, seven times around, and then after you've gone around seven times, you get the, the priests to blow those trumpets as hard as they can, and you tell all the people, shout, because the Lord has given you this city. And when they did that, it says those walls just fell. Can you imagine? And I would say, well, maybe they just kind of like, they, maybe they just kind of toppled over in one quarter. No. What it says, it says, and every man went up straight in. That means that all the walls came down. It, 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 was, it wasn't just one corner, one part of the wall. The whole, the walls. Imagine, I would love to be there to see that. I would love to be there to see looks on people's faces. Like, it, was, it must have been really, really incredible. But, but notice it says, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And so they, they go in. They, uh, you know, every man straight before him. That's verse 20. Every man straight before him. And, uh, and they take the city. But then we read in uh, verse 22. But to the two men who spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out... Oh, they were young men. Interesting. And she was a young woman. The reason I know she was a young woman is because it mentions her parents and her brothers. It doesn't mention any children or husband or anything like that. Although it does say she was a prostitute. Interesting. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought her all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive, and she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. <clears throat> the Bible identifies that act, that act of her hiding the spies as an act of faith that she had in the Lord. The last couple of verses there are pertinent when you later on you will read where the fulfillment of that curse about the firstborn shall uh, um, the cost of his firstborn shall lay he lay its foundation at the cost of the youngest son shall he set up its gates. Later on in scripture you'll see the fulfillment of that as you read on. Um, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's a tremendous account of faith and victory. Uh, the walls coming down. God giving uh, the city to uh, Israel. And God judging the inhabitants of the city. And judging the people of the land. But what about Rahab, because that's really what we want to kind of focus our minds on. And the reason is, is this, because the story of Rahab is completely non-essential to the story of 
people of Israel taking the land of Canaan. If you took out chapter uh, 2 and this reference here in chapter 6, the story would read just fine. Um, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't need anything that she offered to give them. Uh, God had given them the land, told them how to take it. Um, so the story, her story, uh, is really non-essential. So why include it? Why would the author uh, include it? It is important. You know, it's not there just oh, as filler. Because there's nothing in the Bible that's filler, right? Well, it's, 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 it's fascinating. Rahab is an is a actual person, of course. She was an actual person, but she's also she's a type. And there's many types. We've, we've, we've talked about some of these types, types of Jesus and, and, and uh, uh, even types of Satan. Pharaoh is a type of, of the devil. And, and there's all kinds of types we're reading through here. But, but Rahab is a type uh, or a symbol, a foreshadowing of the church, uh, of Gentile believers. She was the first recorded Gentile, non-descendant of Abraham, uh, to be converted in the historical record we're reading. Um, remember what God said, however, to Abraham. He said, uh, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Um, Some of the implications of that coming in up into the New Testament and how Jesus talked about having other sheep that are not of this fold and the, the Phoenician, Syrophoenician woman that crumbs from the table, the faith of the centurion. There's all kinds of New Testament ramifications for this idea of, of, uh, of Gentiles being uh, welcomed in to the people of God. But I, I, I want you to, th to think about this a little bit. It says, what it says in, Gen in uh, Joshua chapter 6, what it, what it says there is uh, that... Uh, Rahab, the prostitute in her father's household, and all belong to her. Uh, they, she has lived in Israel to this day. In other words, they made her part of their community. She became part of the community. She became part of the people. She became part of the people of God. A prostitute. Kind of reminds you of what Jesus it says in the New Testament about Jesus and how he treated uh, some of the women in his day that were in a similar situation. Now, coming in the New Testament, uh, there's a couple of references uh, James 2 25 26. Um, James uses uh, Rahab as a, an example of how real faith. Uh, saving faith shows itself in action. He says, in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works. That's to say that her works were a demonstration uh, or a confirmation of her faith uh, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, also faith apart from works is dead. And you can go over to Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the Hall of Faith, where the writer of Hebrews lists all of the great 
heroes of the faith throughout the Old Testament, or not all of them, but many of them, and you'll find Rahab's name there. That's pretty amazing. But that is nothing compared to what Matthew tells us. And some of you guys here know, know this, and some of you don't. But I'm going to tell you something really, really amazing about this woman. What happened to this woman? Well, she got a whole new life. A whole new life. You talk about new beginnings, this being a new beginning for Israel? Well, this was a new beginning for this woman. Not only was she welcomed into the, uh, you know, to the people, but there was a, a young man in Israel who, who looked at this woman, and, and um, I, don't know, I don't know how it all went down, but I know he ended up marrying her. He took her, and he married her, and they had a family. And I don't know what, you know, there, there's practical implications to all of that. You know? How did, it all, how did it all happen? How did they deal with all of the ramifications? I don't know any of that, but I'll tell you what I do know. I know that they did that. And when you come to the, to the genealogy in Matthew, those of you who, who uh, don't know this, you need to know this. Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of, of uh, Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. It's all the history we've been reading, right? And Salmon father of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of King David Rahab was David's great 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 grandmother but even more spectacular than that Rahab was Jesus Great, 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 I don't know how many greats. Grandmother. The thought occurred to me, you know, I, I know that Jesus dealt, dealt with the people, uh, you know, it says that the sinners and the prostitutes heard him gladly and he welcomed them and he, he endured incredible criticism for that. But I thought it occurred to me, well, maybe, maybe one of the reasons that Jesus had a soft spot for prostitutes was because he was related to one. He had one in his family line. really amazing when you think of it. God did not need to do this. Not only did he not need to include her story, but he didn't need to include her at all. It's it's really quite quite incredible and, and it's instructive. And it makes me wonder how good are we at welcoming people you know, our lives. People that we might look at and think of as failures. Jesus was continually criticized for doing that. Um, and what does God want you and I to take from this? It's really important. 
Because um, we're all failures. I know in our, our present cultural context, we that doesn't that doesn't come come down very well. You know, we don't like we don't like telling each other we're failures, and we want to tell everybody, oh, that you're you know, you're a success. I fail God every day. Because every day I come up short of his perfect, holy justice and righteousness and love and mercy. I come up short every day. And what we do with that is we start comparing ourselves to each other. Because we say, oh, oh no, you, you know, you're, you're a respectable person in the community. Well, compared to who? Because we're not supposed to compare ourselves with each other. We're not supposed to do that. What does God see when he looks at our lives? Because he knows all the secret things. And what this woman was guilty of? There's not one of us that isn't guilty of unfaithfulness disobedience we fail them every day but that's the bad news but the good news is that God has grace for us he is ready to welcome any single one of us into his family Rahab is a type She's a type of me. And she's a type of you. But how did she get into the family? She got in by faith. She said to the guy, she said, I, I know what's happening here. And the reason I know it is because your God, Yahweh, he's the real God. And I, and I can see what's going to go down here and I want to be saved. She didn't understand all about Jesus and the death on the cross and everything, but she understood the gospel in the sense that she understood that, the, that Yahweh was the one true God and that she was under judgment. And this is judgment, right? And, you, and the Bible says that you and I, are that's all of our situation. We're all under judgment. We're all, we all fail. We all are in need of the grace of God. And the good news is that God is ready to welcome us into his family. How, do, how does that happen? We need to put our faith in his salvation, in his provision for our salvation. We need to see ourselves as sinners. We need to see ourselves in trouble. <laughs> we need to allow our hearts to melt in fear because God is going to judge us for our sin. And then we need to see the grace that's available to us. I'm going to ask you to stand. We need to see the grace that's available to us that God has made a way, God has made provision. You know, I know that God looked away, away, ahead all the way back to Rahab. He was looking ahead to his son, Jesus Christ, even before that, long before that, the Bible says, before the foundations of the, of the world. He was making a way. He was making provision. He'd already, he'd already made provision. Jesus is prophesied, and Jesus coming and his death upon the cross is prophesied throughout the whole Old Testament. 
And, and when Jesus comes and walks into the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, his, the grace of God is just, he, it, it, it's just, The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ, God's Son, John chapter 1. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. All right. So, I want you to think about Rahab. I want you to think about yourself. Don't think about other people because... Don't compare yourself with other people. You know you don't live up to God's perfect, righteous, holy commands. You need his grace. You need to be saved. You need, I, we all need his grace. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in the Lord and responded in, in faith to his promise for him to be gracious to you and to welcome you into his family? That's a really big question. And I I want you to think about that this morning. And I'd like to lead you in prayer. And if you're here and you've never done that, today would be a great day. Today would be a day like the walls would come down in Jericho today in your life. If you would put your trust in Jesus Christ, God's provision, God's grace for your sin and mine. Father, I thank you for this tremendous group of people and for the time we spent together today. Lord, we look together, uh, look forward to the fellowship that you have uh, for us as the day continues and the opportunity to visit and to talk and chat and to eat and to, and to just uh, enjoy the good things that you have given us. But Lord, right now we just pause and I think of those who may be here who, who, who um, are still under the judgment of their sin because they haven't come to you for forgiveness. They haven't called out they often uh, put their trust in you and ask for your forgiveness and your salvation. And I pray, Lord, that right now, in the quietness of our hearts, that you would convict each and every one of us, Lord, about our relationship with you or lack thereof. I pray, uh, Lord, that you would grant that faith to them. Um, if you're here and you'd like to pray a simple prayer, let me, let me lead you. Lord God, I don't have the answers to all my questions, but I do know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I don't measure up. And your word says that, that you sent your son to die on that cross so that I can become a part of your family. That I can, be, I can escape the judgment that, that's coming upon my sin. That you paid the price. You shed your blood, Jesus, for me. And so I, I ask, Lord, that you would just, that you would save me that you would forgive me, that you would take me and make me a part of your family because I thank you for that amazing, wonderful promise that you would do that. So I claim it by faith. I call upon your holy name to fulfill your promise of salvation to me, a sinner in need, and I thank and praise you for your salvation. Lord, bless your people here today and, and uh, help us, Lord, to, to know your will for our lives as we uh, just relish the fact that we're part of your family. Uh, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I would love to talk with any of you about any of these things this morning. If you don't have to rush off, I don't have to rush off. I got all day. <laughs>